What the hell is Belfegger? What, what is this? Well, you'll see. Um, so, uh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What? I'll see. You'll see. You'll see. So, uh, um, or are we? Or, or was that your way of starting the episode? I thought would have been good. Actually, I I didn't catch what you were doing there. Um, so I'm looking at the Wikipedia definition of Belfegger. Yeah, I might not have spelled it right. What What does it say? Belfagor is a demon, one of the seven princes of hell, who, well, help, you who helps people make discoveries. You're on to me. There you go. That's there. There you go. We'll come back to that. The first thing I wanted to. T- oh wait, yeah, we pushed the button. The first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Percy. Percy, perse- I know, perse- I know. Perseverance, man, yeah. perseverance. Um, so we're recording this episode on the day when the day after. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah. it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday, yesterday uh, uh, humanity landed again on Mars, and uh, uh, very, very cool stuff. Um, uh, very, very exciting. And um, in some ways, this will just be more of the same from the rover missions that, that NASA's been doing for a long time now, although this one's cool because they've got a drone. <laughs> they've got a, they've got a, uh, a, a helicopter they're going to try and fly, which is, uh, is, is cool in so many different ways. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I think it's cool. Um, and uh, the, uh, uh, if only because it will get some really cool pictures of Perseverance, the drone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and it's going to, you know, I mean, the whole idea that we're actually now flying aircraft on. Now, so this, is, this kind of brings me to my question, right? Does this drone have to, does the FAA have authority on Mars? Is this like, you know, so uh, the, does, that, does NASA need to have a drone license? And, uh, and do they have to stay within 400 feet of the ground? And No, no, and no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, what Dave said. You, well, so, uh, you know, I mean, there, sh- there needs to be rules. If, if there are rules here, there need to be rules there. Well, no, we don't need no stinking rules. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, the, my, my only question, and I've never gotten a satisfactory answer now, I'll, I will ha- have to hasten to add that I've never really sought a satisfactory answer. Yeah. But my question is, who gets to log this? Oh, well, hmm. I mean, it's all... Aut- well, it's, I was going to say it's autonomous, so nobody logs it. But that would but kind of pu- similar to who, pu- a, to a- who pushes the button to say go ahead and take off. I know. Well, who pushes the button to say go ahead and and and, and perform the mission we've pre-programmed? Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, okay. Here's my question then, because I have no experience on this kind of thing. Um, are there any logging requirements or differences or variables or whatever when you use an autopilot? No, I, I didn't think so. But that's. Do you see my? Do you see the yeah. comparison? And, and and the comparison and the the, the ex- phraseology in the FARS, of course, is a sole manipulator of the controls. Right. Which, and the autopilot on off switch is certainly a control. Oh, okay. Hmm. I was going to say that since you've you've turned control of the uh, manipulation of the controls over to the autopilot, that in fact you're not allowed to log that time. No. No, there, no, show, no. Show me where it says that. Well, sole manipulator of the controls, and you're no longer the sole manipulator of the controls. I've, I'm George the one, is helping. I can set up a complete flight plan and take off, push nav on the autopilot, push engage. Yeah. And the autopilot will fly the airplane just fine along this route. Yes. Okay. And so I why, get to log all of that. No, but why? That doesn't seem fair because to me. Because that's the way the regulations are written. David, yeah. what? You what what do you think? You're you're the senior here. Well, let's <laughs> let's uh, no, bite, bite, bite the, by shiny metal. Uh, yeah, no, Jack, I didn't mean Jack. I, Jack yeah. b- before this episode is over, yeah. both of us are going to cut you. I know. Okay, okay David, just, I'm, I'm sorry. Just saying. I apologize, but I do want to. I do want to yield to your your experience. Well, here's the deal. Jeb's the manipulator of the controls in the airplane before he turns on the autopilot. Yeah. Given when he turns on the control to, uh, and hands it over to the autopilot, who manipulated that control? He did. I, I, I understand. So, so he's still the sole manipulator of the controls. So if you have two relatively equal pilots in the left and the right seat, all right, every time they say you've got the airplane, does that change the logging um, allowances? It what? can. Yeah. Sir. 
Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. my point. So there you go. You've said to George, the autopilot, you've said, you've got the airplane, all right? And George goes, got it, my airplane, uh-huh. all right? And so you can't log anymore. No. No. Show me where the autopilot can log time on on his or her own. I, I, I'm not necessarily and, saying. And, and, but even even before we get to that point, show me where it says I have to have two people in the cockpit um, to use an autopilot. And before we even get to that, show me anything else in the FARs. And we're only talking the FARs here. So far, there are no Mars aviation regulations. The Mars FARs? The Mars FARs. Yes. Yeah, okay. okay. We, we, have a, we have an episode title. <laughs> um, uh, show me where in the, in the Mars FARs it says anything other than the an appropriately rated pilot may log all of that time may log his pilot in command all of that time during which he or she is sole manipulator of the controls okay okay now if you and i are flying yeah and i say jack you take it for a while yeah and we do a positive exchange of controls. Yeah. And you're the sole manipulator of the controls of the airplane. You can log every minute of that yeah. until I take the controls back from you, which I will do before we try to land. Yeah, but, well, of course. But uh, smart of you in just about any airplane we're talking but, about. Yeah. Um, but but so are, can you log that time? If I was logging that time, can you log it too? There's, there's different ways to log time. Okay. Yes. Now, presuming for the moment that you were um, rated and qualified in the airplane, in other words, you were current, you had all your high performance and and uh, uh, complex airplane sign-offs and, and all that kind of thing. We were not in instrument conditions, etc. And you're the sole manipulator of the controls. You can log that time as pilot in command. Mm-hmm. If, for example, we were in instrument conditions, and yeah. you and you were not instrument current, right? You could still log the time. You just couldn't log it as pick. You could log it as other. Hmm. Okay. You could log if I was an instructor, and the situation were identical, still in instrument conditions, you not having an instrument rating. You could log, I and I could, I would have to, you know, make sure that my logbook reflected this, but I could log that as dual instruction given. You could log it as dual instruction received. Mm-hmm. Probably a sign of how smart Dave is because he's being very quiet. Um, but uh, I'm going to draw him in here, David. Do when you were flying ultralights and hang gliders, do do ultralight and hang glider pilots keep logbooks? A lot of them do. I did. I mean, I mean, you know, and I completely understand that to a certain extent, you're not even required to log things. You only need to log things if you need that's, to prove also, that you that you did a thing. That's right? also correct. Yeah, um, but I'm just kind of wondering: do are there instances, David, where uh, let's talk? I mean, because ultralights feel so similar to to um, um, you know what. I'm trying to figure out what the right word would be, but non-ultralight flying, that it's the same thing. Hang gliders. Is there a situation where a hang glider would need the record of a logbook in order to prove something? Yep. Like what? Well, you're a uh, veteran hang glider pilot flying weight shift regalo wings. Uh, Nobody ever questions that when you show up at your home launch site. But now you're going to take a vacation. You're going to go to Chattanooga. You're going to want to fly Henson's Gap and Lookout Mountain and, and, and Whitwell. And the Tennessee Treetoppers, which controls two of those three, uh, is going to want validation that you have experience sufficient to be safe launching off these sites. Because Henson's Gap and Whitwell can both be a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. And there are our rating levels from the U.S. Hang Gliding Association that that, that you get from adding experience. You start that logbook when you're in training hill work, and you log those launches, and then as you move up the hill to the uh, low-level launch ramp, 
and fly the required number of times off there, then you get to add another rating. You get go from novice to beginner, from beginner to intermediate to advanced. Uh, and those have probably changed in the years since I've last flown a hang glider. The names of them have changed, but the theory is still the same. How are you going to prove to these people at this new site where you're showing up for the first time that you have the skills necessary to be safe launching off that uh, radio ramp that we built at at Henson's? You're going to show them the logbook. Mm -hmm. Uh, Skydivers. Oh, you okay. you get trained at the uh, at at the little skydiving school in southern Indiana, and you decide that you're going to take a trip to Florida and see the national collegiate uh, skydiving competitions, and then you're going to go over to Zephyr Hill, which is a very active uh, drop zone, mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I want to make some jumps." And they're going to say, "Well, where's your logbook? What kind of experience have you got?" Oh, you've made. Four static lines and, and and six hop and pops or short pre uh, free falls. Uh, okay, they're going to look at that. They're going to send you up with a jump master uh, who's going to err on the side of caution and put you on a static line for the first one. And if you handle that well, you go back up in the C forty seven. You do a twenty second free fall. If you hand handle that well then they're probably going to cut you loose to do more aggressive things like, you know, 60-second free fall, where you're getting out of the aircraft at about 11,000, 10,000, 11,000 feet. So that logging has purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, that makes total sense. That makes and total and this, sense. Is, this is not only true in, in, in um, parachute jumping, but also scuba diving. Sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. So, 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 having said all that, who gets to log Perseverance's drones time? I'm, I'm just blue sky guessing here, but I would expect it to be the person that programmed the flight that the helicopter is going to do. Because it's not any real-time control of this aircraft on Mars. There's an 11-minute lag in radio signals getting from Earth to Mars at the speed of light, 11 minutes. So you're not going to do any precision maneuvering there with control inputs from a little box like you see the uh, RC pilots use. That's going to get programmed in, transmitted, received by the helicopter's brain, acknowledge that it's received. Then somebody's going to push a button and says, do it. That's the person that gets to log the time. Exactly. Okay, let's be, let's try and head off some mail here. All right. <laughs> I don't think we. Why, really why think, have Why have we ever tried to do that? Yeah, I know. Really, I don't think that we think anybody's going to log this time. All right, um, but uh, it's it's all interesting. The perseverance thing is very very exciting. It's Mars and Fars, man. It's, it's Mars Fars. So we, and, we uh, can we can conjure up anything we want. I know. We can put a stake in the ground. Yeah. A stake in, in the Mars. Ter- Mars de- uh, you know, oh, you're ground. talking about a wooden stake or something. Yeah. I right. thought you were talking about a ribeye. No, 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 no. I'm saying we can we can start to define what the Mars FARs are. All right. This is like Mars FAR 001.1. Well, right? this would be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking about how the, the existing FARs are organized. Like, you know, a Part One for definitions, and a Part Sixty One for for airman certification, and a Part Ninety One for general operating rules. Yeah. And so I, you know, okay, fine. Far Mars Far One Dot One. We'll call yeah. it that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has to do with logging. You know, logging rules, logging whatever. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Actually. Mars Far One Dot One is don't listen to podcasters when it comes to Mars Fars. <laughs> I haven't said this in a long time, but I have an urge to say it this morning, and that is welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled <laughs> Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Oh, so uh, that's yeah. what we're here for. That's what we're here for. It's uh, 
Uh, we've been experimenting with formats ever since the uh, infamous non-episode 500, and uh, we're continuing to experiment here. But uh, I'm here with my two good friends in our virtual hangar. Uh, uh, let's see now. Uh, one of those voices is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's coming to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. It's, a, it's amazing how naturally that comes back to me. I don't even have my little script in front of me. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm spiffy. Um, <laughs> Obviously, it comes back to you too, because that's what you all. Yeah, go ahead. What's going no, on? Yeah. No, I, usually, I say it with a bit more of a attitude, uh, um, spiffy. But yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm. Uh, imagine my surprise. You saying something with attitude? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. See, this is <laughs> one of us is going to cut you for this episode is over. Yeah, Just, yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, things are good. Um, you know, low stress, low drama here for the last few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting some stuff accomplished. Uh, kind of sneaking up on trying to get the uh, the next issue of the magazine out the door. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for for no reasons complaints. that for reasons that may or may not ever be explained, uh, I have my phone giving me alerts about weather things in the Tampa Bay area. And I saw you got, I, you may yeah, there's a, notice this. Some sort of weather thing's going to happen this afternoon. Yeah, there's a front moving through. I was looking at it earlier on uh, on radar, and there's just a, a clear, well-defined uh, frontal boundary coming through. It's it's almost a straight line kind of thing. So. Uh, there's going to be some some yellow and red behind that, and mm-hmm. and uh, we'll get some rain and whatnot. But uh, it'll be tomorrow will be much overnight will be much cooler, and and uh, uh, the weekend likely will be a fairly cool, uh, if not breezy, uh, uh, yeah. episode. So yeah, cool, yeah. cool, yeah. And that other voice out there is uh, Dave Higdon coming from uh, Wichita, Kansas, the air capital of the world. Good morning, David. How are you doing? Hoppin' pops, David. Really hoppin' pops. What's a hoppin' pop? Hop and pop is where you jump out the door of the airplane, count to five, and then pull the ripcord. <laughs> no. Ain't going to happen. Isn't going to happen. What's up, David? Well, what are you well, doing? You, you have to do that that way because you can't open the canopy inside the airplane, yeah. uh, which is when I would want to open it if yeah, I was jumping it. out of it. Yeah, uh, this is the, I don't even, this is yeah. the, none of these scenarios are ever going to happen with me involved. Yeah, ain't going to uh, happen. Yeah. But it also helps to be... Uh, for the, for the jump master to see that you know to pull the correct rip cord well, okay. and not accidentally pull the emergency parachute cord, which should just really foul up your jump. Yeah, okay. Uh, what's going on, David? So you, uh, uh, you, you've made it impossible for me to whine about winter up here in New England because, <laughs> because yours is so much worse than mine this year that I just have to be quiet. It's really cold. It's really nasty down there. And you're at the edge of this historic cold spell, right? What's going on? Uh, well, I think as I quoted the last time we gathered, it's colder than, been colder than a well digger's shovel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had multiple nights of below zero. Uh, we had multiple days uh, where it did barely cracked single digits. We had multiple days where it cracked single digits but didn't get to freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is all the polar vortex and the result of the jet stream dipping so far south that it let the polar vortex put snow in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, apparently every county in Texas got some snow over the last whatever it is week or something like that. So yeah, it's craziness. It's craziness. So did snow there? It's been rugged. Uh, Well, we got about seven inches in my neighborhood uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, There's still three inches on the ground. Yeah, Uh, there hadn't been enough sunlight for radiant radiant heat to even begin to melt the snow in at, at, at a normal rate uh the uh city suspended putting down salt sand and brine for a while because it got so cold those solutions w- don't work uh they kept the plows out uh the plows did a pretty good job of keeping the snow from getting too deep on major streets and thoroughfares in my neighborhood uh i've still got snow on the street uh about an inch but it's all been beaten down compacted by Mm -hmm. traffic uh and uh they're saying we're, we're apt to get into the 40s and 50s here in another couple of days so 
talk about Whipsaw. Yeah, yeah. What are you working on? Anything fun? What's going on? Uh, I've got a stack of stories I'm trying to finish here in the, in the next couple of days. Uh, and uh been fighting off some kind of chest congestion that has made it uncomfortable to work at times. Mm-hmm. But doing better. And, yeah. uh And uh, got dressed to go out and run errands after we do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a weekly uh, chore that I do for uh, Av Buyer that I need to do today because yesterday I got the little notice that says that they have postage due mail waiting for me. Uh-huh, and okay. I'll pick that up and pay for it, readdress an envelope, and stick it in a mail uh, this evening off to merry old London. Uh, and uh, trying to uh, wrap up three stories that are all kind of concentrically themed, uh, which has made it more difficult for me to separate them than I expected it to be, hmm. to write the, the the three of them so that they're not reading like the same story, but they're centered on the same topic, which is uh, control flight into terrain. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Other than cool. that, you know, uh, not a hell of a lot. It hadn't been all that pleasant to go out at all. I mean, it, I had five straight days where I didn't get off the block. Uh because between the uh, temperature and the wind chill, and the wind chill was down in the minus 20s, uh, it just was damned unpleasant to go out. Uh, and uh, both of my vehicles are all wheel drive. I'm not sweating driving in this, but uh, you got to get the snow off of them so you can see. And boy, 20 minutes of doing that and it's like you got the car running so that it warms up and the seat heaters warm up the seat and you get all the snow off of it and then realize that you didn't put your wallet in your pocket you <laughs> yeah. you got to go back inside the house and the, and the heat after you've been out in that, it's like a smack in the face even though yeah. it's only 60 67 degrees in the house yeah. so yeah, so all right. Well, very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from uh, the uh, beautiful wintry uh, seacoast area of New Hampshire, Dover, New Hampshire, along the banks of the uh, ever-rushing Cochico River. Did I cover all those little things? Yeah, okay. I think I got them all. I think um, you did. I think I did. Uh, keeping busy these days. I'm learning a lot about doing uh, video live streaming. That's kind of an interesting, sl- slightly new field for me. Um, and uh, and and separate from the videos live streaming, so I've spent I, I've suddenly gotten interested in I'm learning all about NFTs, DAPPs, and Ethereum. I'll leave it to the uh, st- to the student oh. to uh, to um, understand what that all means. Um, I only just barely understand what it means, so maybe more. It's it's for my other podcast. No, I don't have another podcast yet, but uh, keep them busy, having fun. Ethereum, Ethereum, spell that. I okay. <laughs> Busted. I, I think it's E T H E R I U M. Um, okay. Now, now you're gonna. I, no, I'm not gonna look it up. That's enough. It's not. It has nothing to do with aviation. So moving on. Um, well, I O Jeb. Uh, so here's leave a, the helicopter PIC thing. Yeah. I, I'd encourage everybody to read this Smithsonian Magazine story about ingenuity the helicopter and how they got it to the point of 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 testing it in a mars-like environment without ever leaving earth Mm -hmm. uh it's really fascinating the work that they went through to do this i I would like to look at that and you answered a question i had which was whether the helicopter had a name it's called ingenuity is that what it's called yep yep ingenuity okay i like yeah there's there's video out there showing some of the the first literal test hops yeah uh, of the thing and uh, um including a, 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 a shall we say a, a, a mishap uh-huh. um, this kind of thing um one of the interesting things about this it's it's a coaxial rotor uh, right. arrangement yep. um but the rotors turn way 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 faster than a typical yeah. helicopter's rotors will turn yeah. because there's so little uh, atmosphere on right. Mars. Yeah, thin air is a real issue. It's yeah. like dramatically thinner than, than dramatically, the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. 1% of the density of Earth's atmosphere. Right, yeah. right. 
So um, it's yeah, very yeah, interesting yeah, engineering yeah. thing. Yeah. We, we got caught up in doing all the boilerplate here, but I, I just want to take a moment and reiterate um, just how uh, impressive a job NASA has done so far with this mission. Here, here. Couldn't agree more. That yeah. was just a, a very complicated, for good reason, but a very complicated um, evolution uh, of the spacecraft yesterday. And uh, um, they pulled it off. There were yeah. no errors. There was at least nothing that we've seen so far. Um, and just, just an amazing performance. And just congratulations and just very happy to see that kind here, of thing. Here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was watching. So last evening, after I already knew that it had successfully landed, because there's a real question of whether this thing is going to like crash and you never know, all right? Um, I watched a video recap of the so-called seven minutes of terror, all right, because that's that's the way this works is that, you know, there's this seven-minute period where nobody knows what's going to happen, and it's all programmed anyways. They can't, like David said, it's a big, what, 11-minute delay. And so I was watching this video of the of the NASA, or, or it's maybe not NASA or, or JPL, but whatever it is, the control room, the mission control, I right? Watched, I watched that live, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to watch it live. I was working, unfortunately. But I watched it later on. But here's the interesting part is that even though I knew it was going to be okay, I was really nervous. Uh-huh. I was watching the thing going, oh, my gosh, this is stressful. And, uh, and you know, and then, of course, the, a, a various milestones throughout that seven minutes, they get good answers. You know, they, it's some something good has, has happened that's supposed to happen, and they're, they start to cheer, and they're cheering a little more, and they're clapping a little more. And, and then at the end, the big, that's really – quite frankly found it kind of moving um and and you're right it's quite an accomplishment technically for nasa and and for the human race we gotta we gotta like go there we gotta move outward so very cool to give this some earth perspective yeah there's not been a helicopter on earth fly higher than forty thousand feet oh okay yeah i I think i see where you're going tell me yeah well the atmosphere on mars is the equivalent of being at 100,000 feet on Earth. Wow, I never thought of it that way. That's, that's a really interesting way of thinking. Yeah, yeah okay, go ahead, yeah. David. Well, it's the, the, the density altitude is like a 1% of uh, what it would be here on Earth under similar temperature huh. and humidity. And they redesigned the blades. They redesigned the drive. Uh, they cranked, as Jeb said, they cranked the RPM of the rotors up. I think it's 2,700 or... Twenty four hundred RPM, 27, yeah, yeah, versus say, it, you know, six hundred. So it's a, uh, it is a hell of an accomplishment. It, what really impressed me, I watched a program about this on uh, on uh, uh, Science Channel yesterday evening, and uh, the tests that they did to validate these capabilities is in a big chamber that they've got where they can reduce the oh, atmosphere. Yep. Mm-hmm. to equivalent of Mars, add carbon dioxide to make it an atmosphere equal to Mars, chemistry-wise, and then heat it to 130 degrees so it's as hot as it is on Mars. Hmm. Once it could fly in that, it could fly on Mars. And that's what they spent years going through to design, redesign, validate, revalidate, test and retest until this puppy was ready to go. And now it's got two cameras and it's going to be flying around Mars, uh, not real long distances because the battery is uh, uh, limited in how much long it can power the ship. But uh, they're going to get a way to cover ground and get photographs of the terrain in Mars that they've never had before. Mm-hmm. Because as great as the rovers have been, and it, boy, there's no question, their track record with these rovers is phenomenal. It really is. But they're slow. Right. And the little ingenuity can cover a lot more ground, get the same kind of photography, and... Uh, bring it back to uh, Perseverance and upload it to Earth. Yeah. Now, I never thought about this aspect of it that you just mentioned. And the batter- Are they able to recharge the batteries on Ingenuity? Yes. Okay, so it must have a cradle or something that it sits it has on. A, it, it has a solar panel yeah. on top oh, of the so- rotors. Okay. The rotors yeah, yeah. rotate around uh, concentrically in opposite mm-hmm. directions. But at the top of the, the shaft, if you will, there's a small solar panel. Okay. Very, very interesting. I'm a, we will watch this with great interest. We may even talk about it more because it has to do with general aviation, right? 
That's my story. Yep. I'm sticking I'm to sticking, it. I'm sticking to it. Um, yeah. One, I don't know if this is housekeeping or what, but I just so I, another urge I have today. It's full of urges today. Um, is to I don't know. See, I'm gonna uh, Hodgson H O D G S O N. Send the mail. Um, Belfajor. So I was listening, I was working on, uh, and I'm actually a little bit behind now, so I was on the episode two episodes ago, and a couple of times during that episode, I noticed that we ignored you, Jeb. No, we didn't ignore you. We weren't. I don't believe we were intending to ignore you, but there were a couple of different, you probably don't even remember this I don't. Now. I All right, but I, there were a couple times during this episode where you kept like raising your hands, like it was, it was almost, I was like you kept saying, "Well, but what about this?" and and I didn't didn't respond. And a couple seconds later, you said, "Well, what about the same thing? What about this?" and I didn't respond. And I didn't. And so, and you know, in our defense, we were having we were having audio problems that day and it's vaguely possible that although you're you got recorded for the podcast saying what about this it might not have made its way to my headphones it's yeah. technically that's possible because of the way the system works but so apologies for that um and similarly we were talking about this was the episode we were talking about unusual airplanes we were going over a list of unusual airplanes all right and one of the unusual airplanes was the belfajor all right, which was that weird airplane, that crop duster airplane with the weird um, um, uh, oh, bins right, right, under, right. The under the wings, right? Okay, and 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 we had talked about the Belvedere a few episodes prior to that, so I was just kind of summarizing and, and whatever. And Jeb, you kept saying. But there's something else about that. You know, what else is special about that airplane? All right. And I just kept completely missing you saying, you know, what else is special? And you said well, it about three times and then you gave up on us. I could just see you now. I, all right. I'm I'm at something of a loss. Has that episode been published? Uh, just recently, like today. So it's there now and you could listen to it and hear. Um, and I, you know, you'll hear yourself going, you know, what else is different about that? And I didn't respond. I was just like off on a. Oh, and another thing you kept saying. We were talking about what were we talking about? We were saying uh, what was the terminal? Oh, we were also talking about uh, airplanes in ser- air, uh, military aircraft in service longest. All right, and you kept saying, well, "What's the definition of in service?" All right, and I just kept missing you saying that. It, so I, you know, I, you're a good guy. You don't really care about this stuff, but I, you know, uh, and you don't even remember. I don't. But I'm remember. apologizing. I'm apologizing for having inadvertently ignored you. That's all. Yeah. Every. You know. Um... Every now and then, you just got to say, what the heck, and and uh, move on, and just, yeah, you know, especially, do, do your thing. So especially I, in dealing with us. Yeah, especially, right, okay. especially when dealing with me, yeah. but so, uh, sure, yeah. Anyways, all right. Okay. But what else was different, Jeb? I have no idea what we're talking about. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and I didn't know. I, I, you know, I, mean, I don't remember hearing you say it when we were recording, and when, when I was editing it, I'm listening, I'm going, you're, you're, gonna, I what's you're actually going to force me to listen to an issue. I mean, well, an episode. I, I'm not forcing you. I'm tricking you. Um, so there here is, we go. There is a difference. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Here we go. Good news. Here's good news. You ready? Good news is that uh, the Terrafugia transition has uh, the uh, flying car or rotable aircraft has received its SLSA airworthiness certificate. So good on that. Oh, wait. There's oh, another wait. Story about- Wait, there's another Terrafugia story. Yeah, weird things about the Terrafugia program recently, right? So, no joke, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they received their FAA airworthiness certificate, and then like two days ago... Yeah, it um, wasn't an airworthiness certificate. Well, I guess it is. Yeah, okay. I, I, that's that's yeah. what it says but, here. But, but, you know, so I don't know what that means in the context of the fact that uh, two days ago, um, the owners of that program, um, who are not U.S.-based any longer, uh, decided to pull the plug on the U.S. part anyways. We don't know exactly whether they're going to continue the program offshore. But uh, the Terrafugia program, apparently everybody down there in Woburn, Mass., got laid off, according to the stories I saw. And... Uh, um, you know, that's obviously too bad. I mean, I've made jokes over the years about the Terrafugia. I, I've tried to always be very, very clear that I thought it was a really cool piece of engineering. I mean, yeah, it was just qu- yeah. quite a quite an accomplishment in that regard. I just was never sure about its marketing, you know, kind of viability. But it was a cool program, and it was cool, cool, you know, uh, a piece of engineering. And and in fact, I know that at least for a while there, we had at least one listener who was on the staff there. We'd meet him from time to time uh-huh. at shows and stuff. And so I don't know whether he was still there, but that's kind of all too bad. I have to I have to give some props though to a commenter on this Avweb story. 
um, who, who was kind of taking the ultimate, uh, um, um, you know, what about uh, uh, position here. I mean, Arthur F. Uh, a couple of weeks ago posted on uh, as a comment on the story on AdWeb says, until they make it usable as a boat, too. What's the point? <laughs> Yeah, because that's what the mark that would make See, the difference. Yeah, now exactly, it would exactly. be now well, and, it would be. And of course, you know, one one answer would be it's usable as a boat now. Yeah, once, 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 right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, so, and we uh, th- there used to be a, uh, a a car on the market that you could drive into the water yeah. and yeah, a version of it even made it into a a Bond movie. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, those are, I don't know if they're on the market. I don't know if you, if you can buy one, but you, every now and then you see one. On there was one at Oshkosh a couple of years ago. You, you know where you see them, actually, yeah. now that you stop and think about it? Um, at uh, Disney World in Florida. Uh-huh. Um, they have an attraction where you get to, you know, I don't know if you rent time on it or whatever, but there's like, and and it, I don't know whether they're still doing this because it Is always it struck like bumper, me as being. bumper cars on the water? Yeah, well, that's the problem if it becomes bumper cars on the water. But no, so uh, this is actually, this is, you know, Disney World, of course, is like lots of different lands. I'm making finger quotes, lands. Um, And one of them is called something, it used to be called Downtown Disney. It's called something else now. Um, And it's built around a a lake, a a, a pond, a body of water. Um, And uh, one of the things that goes on on that was that you could could, uh, get one of these little floaty cars um and go go boating out on the lake and it just always struck me as like are they really gonna let just regular people do this but i guess they they were the lake's probably only about four feet deep you know uh you know that's probably possible but you know you can get yourself in trouble in four feet of water oh yeah Um, oh absolutely um so uh terrafugia r.i.p you know and uh i mean and again i don't know if the program's going away it's just the american operation apparently has been shut down and uh We'll see what happens, but uh, it's a puzzle. I don't know. You have any thoughts on this? Any, any, uh, Jeb or Dave? Well, I've been to attractions where you could rent a canoe, where you could rent an okay. outboard boat. Uh, when it was down in uh, uh, Cancun for the Millennium New Year party that uh, a friend of mine organized. One of the uh, one one of the uh, tourist touristy things that we did was uh, called a jungle tour, a jungle boat tour. Yeah, and you got in this little two seat outboard runabout, about twelve foot long boat, and they told you how to start it. Turn the wheel left, it goes left. Turn the wheel right, it goes right, and then after that, just follow the guy in the lead. They, you know, they didn't even check our driver's licenses. So, yeah, being well, able to do that doesn't surprise me. Okay, okay, but could it fly? That's what I want to know. Not in this case. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. What else here? You guys, some what's a yeah? Like, like well, you, you pick some. What do you we, want? To we talk have about? a list here. Let's look at it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. FAA employees have been kind of getting into uh, in in trouble. Uh, yeah, what was this? Tr- there's two. There's there's two stories here. A Honolulu woman is sentenced after intentionally severing FAA communication lines. This was a former employee, a former FAA employee, and now there's a story. Rogue FAA employee offered to commit treason, quote unquote, for China. Okay, and what, espionage. What, yeah, but what 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 was the nature of the proposed treason? Did did it talk about what this person? Well, thought that's that they, that's part of my confusion, I guess. I suppose um, I could look at the story. You here. could look at the story, which I know would be you know uh, Bell Belfagor of you. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, uh, he's he's offering to be something like a whistleblower. I, I, I presume it's a he. Uh, only a he would be that stupid to to do what this person did, which was to write letters to um, various embassies in Washington, offering to be a snitch. Yeah, and all you have to do is pay me for this. 
27.7 million. Yes. Okay. Um, The guy, let's verify who this is. Yeah, I may be a trader, but I'm not cheap. Brian J. Booth, according to this this, uh, article in the Daily Beast, um, let's see, admitted to disclosing U.S. secrets last year when he sent letters to the German, French, and Chinese embassies containing the names of pilots and mechanics who had been stripped of their operating certificates after being deemed security threats by the agency. So there's like three levels of what the heck is going on here, going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm still scratching my head over this. The guy's writing in, um, in the letters. He says, uh, I have enclosed the list of the last page of information to pay me. I am selling this information. I am committing treason and espionage. And I have to go back and stop and check um, to make sure the date on this is not April 1. Yeah, I know, huh? Well, you know, there are but there are people who don't think these things through. Yeah, I well, That's I my generous way of putting it. But, that's, uh, that's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm scrutinizing the story here, trying to figure out where this person is from, because I desperately want him to be a Florida man. I really, really <laughs> it, it would I make really, so much, it would, it would just dovetail so well, you know, yeah, so much yeah. sense. But I, I don't. I'm not jumping out at me here that he said that says where he's from. But anyways, all right. Well, you know, okay. So I don't know what there is to learn from these two stories. Um, the FAA people are just stressed out apparently, and uh, are, Appar- they're, well, they're snapping. Apparently, um, this is in D.C. I just looked up his lawyer's name, and the lawyer's a uh, D.C. attorney. Okay. Um, yeah. Public. Defender. Well, he was arrested at FAA headquarters, so. Yeah. So maybe he's a maybe he's yeah maybe he's, he's a, a headquarters uh, in, employee. What, Independence Ave is that the street that it's on? Eight hundred Independence. Eight hundred yeah. Independence. Actually, is it still? Didn't we talk about this recently? Didn't haven't they moved since the golden age of the FAA? Yeah, the FAA no. Uh-oh. Oh no. Okay. All right. Never mind. Never DOT mind. moved. Oh okay. Oh DOT moved. That's DOT moved. Yes. Yeah. Really? I believe so. About three years ago. It's funny that we don't have a device that we could use to... Anyways, uh, where have I heard that before? I don't know. FAA employees are kind of snapping. They're kind of losing it. All right. I don't know what the... I'm not sure what the what the lesson here is, but uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Hey, David. Um, oh, they did move. Okay. Interesting. Hey, where'd they move to? 1200 New Jersey Avenue Southeast. Well, you know, wait a second. That's not... Okay, our I'm, listeners are just are, they're 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 they, hanging on every yeah they're word hanging here. on every word here. I think that's the old address actually. I have to look at the I have to look at a map. Well, while you're looking at maps, David, I, um, so you um you at the very last minute of I think the last episode, you brought something up that wasn't able we weren't able to get into the episode. So I want you to follow up on this here. There was news or there was a milestone about Cirrus. Do you know? You remember this story? Um, what was I the could, question again? That that you, you brought this up at the last minute on a, on a past episode, and it wasn't able to make it into the episode. And so I'm offering you an opportunity to talk about it now. And that was that there was news about. I'm sorry, I'm looking for it here. Where'd it go? Uh, um, you wrote uh, conventional wisdom was wrong. Cirrus succeeded a bit at a time. Um, I think it had to do with them passing a milestone for how many aircraft they built, or something like that. Yeah, eight eight thousandth delivery. I think um, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, w- w- I mean, was the Cirrus program really that that sort of uh, 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 you know they didn't think it would work back in the early days? Oh, the conventional wisdom, and at the time that Cirrus was getting started. You know, we still had Boeing here. We still had Learjet here. We still had Beach. We still had Cessna. Uh, and the conventional wisdom from all the quote-unquote experts, engineers, and marketing people it, throughout the town was that they were just biting off too much. A, it was going to be all composite. That uh, That's not going to sell because who's going to know how to work on it and fix it when they damage it? Uh a parachute in the airplane, people would probably rather have the 60 pounds of useful load that the parachute eats up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, it just went on and on. And uh, single lever power, uh, 
uh, you know, never, never, ever going to happen. Never, ever. I, I, that's the exact quote of what a guy with high up in one of the airplane companies here told me at a dinner meeting while this was still in development. Never, ever going to happen. Too many new things, and all of them are foreign to us. And don't you think if that idea could work, somebody would have done it already? That was my favorite. Yeah. So yeah. That's what they said to the freaking Wright brothers. Do you think if anybody had been meant to fly, would they, they, they'd be flying already? Well, there has to be a first somewhere, somehow, sometime mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to answer that. And Cirrus Design was a first. Composite airplane, uh, single lever power, uh, and a all airplane parachute, and that was going to be the breaker, according to conventional wisdom. That mm-hmm. was going to be the breaker. The, the, you know, ate up sixty pounds, uh, took up space that could have been used for luggage. Well, the guys at Cirrus were smart enough to design the airplane around the parachute so that there was still plenty of luggage room. Uh, and still decent payload. Uh, yeah, but it'll all come crashing down when they when when the FAA says, "Oh, and you have to test the parachute." And by that time, they already had tested the parachute in other ways. Mm-hmm. Owners and builders of light sport and experimental aircraft that had bought uh, the BRS system for their aircraft. And walked away from what could have been, should have been a fatal incident. Right. It, so we already knew that it worked. It just had to work in that airplane. And they went through a bunch of tests out west, uh, got them all on on uh, film, uh, deployed the parachute in flight uh, after they'd done some simulated deployments and dropping some uh, fuselage sections to s- demonstrate that the landing gear and the crushable zone under the seats actually w- worked as designed. And wow, we were all out in uh, Palm Springs for an AOPA convention when uh, the FAA administrator shows up. Well, she was expected anyway. Uh, so that didn't raise any big eyebrows, but at the uh, uh, part of her briefing to the press there was a presentation of airworthiness certificate to uh, uh, Cirrus for the SR-20. Mm-hmm. And Cirrus had already announced before they had one type certificate that they were working on a follow-on model that they were going to call the SR-22. Uh, here we go again. Oh, well, they should really get one in production and selling before they start another. They're biting off more than they can chew. They won't last a year. They'll go bankrupt. Uh, You know, they'll wind up spending all this money developing the second airplane before they've sold enough of the first airplanes to support the operation. Another wrong answer. Right. It's been a remarkably successful program. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And... uh it's Good been, on them. It's been the best-selling single for some yeah, time now. Yeah, uh, for, for a while, I was going to say. Uh, and we're getting ready for Gamma to come out with their uh, their next uh, uh, annual set of numbers. And, you know, we can go back and look, but um, as far as piston singles are concerned, it's been a fairly consistent um, uh, the company, I should say, has been a fairly consistent market leader. Um I there was a stat I saw maybe a year or so ago. It was something to the effect that um, Cirrus had had manufactured or, or delivered, I should say, about half of the single engine pistons delivered in the U.S. over a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. just on the, just two models versus everything Cessna and, and Beach and Piper had, had manufactured over the same period of time. I yeah. believe that's I believe that's correct. Yeah, very cool. Congratulations and, to them. Yeah, and, David? and some of the some of the same old no way Jose crap surfaced again when they announced that they were working on a jet. Yep. Yep. And. Uh, you know, it's like, when will you people learn? They, they, they don't announce something that they're not 100% confident they can execute. Uh, 
Oh, but it's going to be a single-engine jet. That's never been done. You're right. It's been tried several times. Gulfstream worked on one. Piper. Uh, Piper worked on one. Uh, there were a couple of uh, clean sheet designs that were going to be singles. Uh, all of those went south because of financial conditions and the market. Uh and it's not like Cirrus hasn't had its uh, economic problems over the years. I mean, the uh, the original uh, founders, uh, Alan and Dale Klapmeyer, only Alan's still around with the program now. Uh, Dale left a long time ago. Uh, the, uh, the work that they did on uh, the ultralight parachutes, the work that they did on their first kit, uh, which was very cleverly designed uh, to be easy to assemble, and they didn't sell more than I mean twenty or thirty of them. Right, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to build a jet. It's going to be a single, and it's going to have a parachute. Oh no, here we go again. Yeah, and how many are there out there flying now? Uh, it's more than double digits. Yep, yep. Well, congratulations to them, and it's good. To, good and thank you for bringing it up, Dave. We appreciate that. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, yeah. Does anyone recall off the topic, because it's not in this article, um, anybody recall offhand when the first SR-20 was delivered? I don't, no. I want to say something like 95, 96. Is there, there must be a Wikipedia page for the SR-20. There's got to be some way to look it up. But put, putting all that aside, let's call it 25 years. Yeah. Um, so they've, they've, they've sold, to, um, delivered, 8, I should say. Huh? 8,000. Yeah, 8,000 air- aircraft in, in 25 years. The entire production run of the V-Tail Bonanza spanned 40 years, as I recall, 47 to to 80-something, almost 40 years. And there were only like 10,500 V-Tail Bonanzas ever delivered. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it, trying to compare apples to apples, which is not really the same here because there's there's too many there's two models of the S of, of the SRs, but several models, uh, several different variants of the uh, V-tail Bonanza. It would seem to me that Cirrus is going to outpace the V-tail Bonanza production uh, uh, as far yep. as over time is concerned, and that's that's not an insignificant achievement. It, it's quite an achievement. No, it's not, quite an achievement. Not at all. Sure. That, they're sure. still a long way from catching up with uh, Cessna and the 172. Exactly. Ex- well. very, very much so. And, and, which may never be accomplished by anyone ever again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Congratulations to uh, Cirrus and to uh, to everybody involved with that program. Um, I've got – so I'm, I'm messing with the format here, but there's one thing I don't want to forget. While I'm doing this, you guys think about whether there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, but while you're thinking, I'm going to say uh, that if you like what we're doing here with the podcast, please consider supporting it with a financial donation. Uh, as little as a few dollars a month really helps us in enabling us to uh, do this podcast. You can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via P- PayPal. Uh, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, you know, thank you to some of our uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon supporters uh, Ed K and Stuart A and Robert W and Antonio S are just a few of the recent folks who have who have uh, gotten involved through Patreon. Thank you so much. Uh, and to everyone who supports us on Patreon and through PayPal, you folks are the best. Thank you so much. For information about how you can provide an automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And you can get all this information later on if you need to by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you so much for all your support. Okay, anything else you want to talk about? Well, there was... What? Hang on, let me find it here real quick, because... Uh, I thought I'd saved this, but apparently I did not. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, he's digging. David, you got anything you want to talk about? Anything there? What's going on? Uh, looking forward to spring. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I can. I understand how that might be important to you both. 
<laughs> I happen to be. I happen to be. You know, again, I, I given all of our friends in uh, in. Yeah, okay, all right. Given I, bar- all of our fr- I barely felt the salt in that wound. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, uh, given given all given David's situation and all of our friends in Texas and down in that part of of the U.S., I, uh, I nevertheless want to comment that it's it's been snowing here in in New Hampshire the whole time we were doing this episode. I'm just keep looking out the window and then kind of looking away, going, no, I don't know. Anyways, did you find it, Jeff? Yeah, I did. Um, this is something that I just, just came across my desk yesterday, as I recall. Um, dun, 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 yes. Um, the General Accountability, Government Accountability Office, it used to be General Accounting Office uh, of the U.S. government, um, <clears throat> has published a report um, about the FAA's policies on uh, expense sharing. Ah, okay. Okay. Now, uh, the punchline here is I think we're going to hear more about this in, in the next um, um, uh, few months, years. But uh, um, one of the things, you know, this was uh, this is a uh, forty. I'm sorry, twenty eight page report um, involved a lot of the stakeholders, um, the um, um, NTSB, some of the Alphabet Soup. Uh, even looked at some of the EASA, the European regulations on this. Uh, basically, the the um, the idea is, why can't we have an Uber for general aviation? Mm-hmm. Why can't we have some kind of mechanism that uh, uh, pilots can share ride share, uh, if you will, with uh, uh, perhaps non pilots, perhaps people they don't know. Sure, is the is the the real the real catch here? The FAA has long maintained that all of this constitutes holding oneself out as uh, a common carrier, right? Which, which is, is the, which is a ahead. big 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 no no, yeah. As far as the FAA is concerned, um, for a lot of very good reasons, but I'm kind of wondering if some of those reasons are going to evaporate or at least get tweaked up a little bit. One of the findings in this report, or one of the, I won't say findings, um, one of the uh, things that it identified is that European regulations on what what we'll call ride-sharing, airborne ride-sharing, are much less stringent than the FAA's um, to to the extent that uh, an Uber of the air, if, if you will, is uh, much more viable. Uh, now, it's not at all clear to me if there's an Uber of the air in Europe, just from a quick scan of some of this report. But one of the justifications the FAA has pointed out in saying, yeah, we recognize that Europe has, has this, this mechanism and, and it's different from the one we have in the, F, in the, in the USA because... It costs more to fly in Europe than it does in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And my reaction to that argument is, if that's the best argument you have in defense of differing from the European regulations, you need to go back to school and come up with another one. Right. Yeah, that's lame. That's a very lame argument. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know where any of this is going to go. I don't have any special insights here or anything like that. There's certainly no pending rule change that says that Joe Q, pub, private pilot, can go out and troll people on the street. Hey, you want to ride down to Key West this afternoon? Um, that's still not going to be kosher as far as the FAA is concerned. Mm-hmm. But it might get more kosher uh, at some point in in the future if if some of this uh, some of the things highlighted in this report um, are expanded on. So that's all. I, I that's just a little thing I came across. I thought I'd yeah. try to share. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. We should keep an eye on that yeah. because it's yeah. you know I mean. Well, I'm going to I'm going to do something with it in, in the in the next issue of aviation oh, safety. Okay, but, great. But, yeah, it'll we'll, be interesting. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about it. Or, yeah, because you know regardless of what whether you ever get an Uber for the air, all right, the subject of 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 uh, you know um, expense sharing um, yeah. in in general aviation flying has always been a little bit sticky, a little bit you know kind of like. 
what's okay and what's not okay. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't mind myself. I mean, I, I, it seems like it would be a good thing if it became a little bit less restrictive. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about any of that either. Um, yeah. Um, certainly, I have, have shared the expense of flying my airplane and or other airplanes with um, uh, other people. Uh, in the past, you know, there's been a lot of times that I haven't. Um, all of that having been said, I certainly understand um, where the FAA is coming from, especially. But I certainly also understand that um, there's a lot of, uh, well, I can do this in a car. What makes a an airplane that much different when it's a privately owned and operated airplane? And yada yada yada. So I don't know where the real answer is, but um, it's it's not a dead issue among mm-hmm. among those who uh, who might be interested in this. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Thank you. Well, let's keep an eye on that. So and and, I'd li- and let us know when you know the nature of that article so that people can look for it. Yeah. Um, thank you guys. I think it's fork time. Um, uh, it's always fun to get together. I appreciate it uh, on this uh, snowy, sunny, really cold depending on where you are, uh, day in, in, in late February. Uh, my two good friends here, Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag, and uh, you can also find his work at aea.net and avweb.com. On Twitter, he is Burnside. And David, David Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com, aea.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, a digital media producer. Uh, you can find me online in most of the usual places using the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, twitter.com Jack Hodgson, youtube.com Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the books section. And you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you were going to tell us? The key to old age is living well and flying because we all know time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And let's remember that when we fly solo by ourselves, the best part is the quality of the social experience.